We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Three. This is episode 62, right? Okay. Yep. That's exactly what I was about to ask you. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Three, two, one. You're listening to BuzzBeat Radio, your premier Charlotte Hornets show. <laughs> All right, welcome in episode 62, right, Richie? 62. 62. We were just asking <laughs> each other that question before we jumped on here. Episode 62 of BuzzBeat Radio. Uh, it's just Richie and I today. Brian is with family um, you know, spending some time and taking a well-deserved break um, from from Buzzbeat and Sports Channel Eight and all the great stuff he's doing. So, um, so we'll be here today. We're going to talk some coaching candidates, uh, a few other things. I'm going to take a swing. I think it, it, to end the episode, it kind of running down uh, the NBA playoffs and giving some thoughts on that. But um, uh, do, do not forget, we are a proud member of the Almighty Baller Podcast Network and also uh, our home, QueenCityHoops.com. Proud. A member of queencityhoops.com and then sports channel eight um they're still at it with those saturday morning radio shows i wasn't able to listen yesterday um but the reports are it's still going great so much talent over there at sports channel eight so make sure you're checking them out for everything uh covering uh north carolina sports uh sports channel com, and then on twitter at sports channel eight all right again today's episode a lot of coaching candidate uh talk there's been a lot of candidates, I would say, um, linked to the Hornets job and just a lot of jobs across the NBA uh, here in the past few weeks. And, and finally, David Fisdale was hired by the Knicks this past week, and it feels like the first real domino has fallen. So maybe we have a little bit more transparency. But look, we're not going to talk about every single candidate that has come up uh, with the Hornets because Richie said it really, really good before we got on here and started recording. It's just like, we don't know what to believe and what not to believe at this point. So um, we're going to tell you what we think serious, uh, what we think, you know, maybe we shouldn't pay as much attention to uh, and a decision should come soon. I mean, I, I think that we at least know that much. So on that note, let's jump in here. Richie, what's up, man? How you doing? I saw a Florida Gators baseball um, game on in your background there. So <laughs> Yes, that's right. I, I'm uh, kind of transitioning over to college baseball, especially with the fact that Florida uh, Florida baseball is number one in the land and they won it last year. I think they've got a very good chance at repeating because they're just 
they're just chugging along. They got experience, but they also got some young players as well. So, yeah, I've been very lazy this weekend uh, watching some college baseball. I have not been keeping up too much with the uh, the NBA playoffs, but uh, very, very lazy weekend for me. And I, I didn't do anything for uh, Cinco de Mayo. I, I stayed away from all those Mexican places. I don't know if you got if you guys did anything. I, we did not. Yeah, actually, uh, it was alumni weekend at where I went to high school, Fork Union. So I went and played at a um, golf tournament yesterday. Um, so, yeah, I stayed away from the tequila and all that <laughs> stuff. Um, but uh, but no, college baseball, by the way, side note, um, so underrated. Man, college baseball is so much fun. Like my real job at Richmond, University of Richmond, one of the projects we're doing right now is raising money for um, hopefully the new ballpark for the Spiders. Huh. And they played VCU this weekend. They got a series. They're actually playing game three right now at the Diamond, which is where VCU plays their home games, which in the Diamond is uh, the park for the minor league team here in Richmond, the Richmond Flying Squirrels. And so I went on Friday night, and Richmond VCU college baseball, there was probably 1,500 people in that place rocking. I mean, it's a good rivalry anyways, which you know, you know through basketball. But college baseball, man, it's – it's kind of on the comeback and baseball in general, I think might be on the comeback. Yeah, so we, we were talking about that. I think last episode off air, just how baseball seems to be coming back. But yeah, I've always, I've always been a big college baseball fan, especially around this time. Uh, just that, that whole tournament just is uh, very exciting and, you you know any team can win it. I, I don't. If I had to put money on it, I wouldn't put it on Florida just for the fact that I think it's going to be hard to repeat. But uh, you know, sometimes it's just always the underdog that comes through uh, come come playoff time. So. No doubt. And baseball is one of those sports, too, where it's just it seems less star driven in the way that like Uh the underdog or the team, you know, is not favored to win and whatever scenario can win more, you know, out of 10 times can win more times, you know, other than basketball or football or sport like that. It's very star driven. So it's fun stuff. All right, Richie. Well, let's try to jump in here. Uh, I, I think the natural place to start is. Uh, Woj tweeted yesterday that Jay Laranaga, who is now a Celtics assistant coach, has been uh, since 2012, I believe. Um, mm-hmm. And then James Borrego. Am I saying that last name correctly? Borrego? That's how I would pronounce it, yep. Okay. So has been a Spurs assistant for in, in two different stints for mm-hmm. about 11 years now. So two really strong candidates. It sounds like they're interviewing today in Charlotte. I mean, you know, Woj sent this tweet yesterday, almost 24 hours ago, and uh, said they were interviewing this weekend and Michael Jordan would be in the room for both for both of these interviews. So um, I, I don't know if I should read that as they are finalists, but they're definitely being seriously considered for this position. Any thoughts on either one of these guys that really jump out to you outside of some of the things I already mentioned there. Yeah, I I think I I definitely lean Laranaga. I don't know a whole lot uh, about James Borrego. I know that he's a little bit younger than Laranaga, and I feel like he has less, I don't think he has any head coaching experience in terms of uh, on the professional level or even in the college level. Um, He's been an assistant for San Antonio, like you said. He went to New Orleans for a little bit, and then he bounced right back to to San Antonio. I, I guess he did have an interim spot with the magic for a little bit, but I just don't know enough about him to make a, 
you know, an honest decision about whether I like that guy or not. I do lean Laranega of the two. He actually is from Charlotte, which I thought was interesting. I guess when uh, his dad was coaching at Davidson, um, that's when that's when they had him in, in Charlotte. But uh, I just think that the fact that uh, he has a head coaching experience, albeit uh, in the D League, I kind of lean that way a little bit more. And then also. Coming from the Boston Celtics, uh, he's definitely known for his player development. And, you know, he's developed some young players over the years and he's had some playoff experience because I think ever since he became a Boston Celtic assistant, they've made the playoffs all but one year. So uh, I think his experience I like a little bit more than uh, the Borrego. Yeah, I, I would tend to agree with you on Larinaga as, uh, you know, being the favorite. In my personal clubhouse, I, you know, Borrego has. He's been in on an NBA bench a little longer um, than a guy like like Laranega has, and in That's fact, true. if you'll recall, James Borrego was the uh, was the interim head coach for the Magic back in 2015. He actually he went down to Orlando with, if I'm not mistaken, I think this is right with Jacques Vaughn mm-hmm. when he was hired, um, and things didn't go great. <laughs> so <laughs> when Vaughn was let go, um, I think is when Borrego kind of got his day in the sun to be an interim. And, you know, I, I don't think he was ever really going to retain that job. There was serious consideration to keep him on, but, you know, I think that's an important year for him or however many games it was. I, I don't know exactly. Um, I think that was a really important experience for him. You know, again, two different stints for, for Borrego and San Antonio on their bench as a coach, uh, about 11 years, something like that. You know, he's, he's just been in the NBA as a coach a little bit longer. And you, look, you're really, but you're picking one good grape from another good grape when you're comparing, you know, what Boston is right now with Brad Stevens uh-huh. and what they've been with Danny Ainge to what San Antonio, you know, is with RC Buford uh, and obviously Coach Pop. I mean, you know, I mean, two great organizations. San Antonio has been there a lot more times and done it for longer. But what Boston's doing right now is as good as it gets. So um, I, I, but I'm with you in terms of player development. It seems like I would give Laranega, I mean, again, we're splitting hairs here, but I would give him the edge there in the player development department. And on that note, I mean, that's, you know, we talked about before we press record, um, Curtis Polk did an interview with Rick Bonnell, the Charlotte Observer, just this past week. And if you read that article, you can go back and, you know, and read it. It's uh, it's player development heavy. I mean, that's what Polk's saying pretty much the whole time. Like, look, we want a lot of things in our next head coach, but one of the most important factors, if not the most important factor, is certainly we got to develop players. And I think that Polk shed light on the fact that he's not only talking about rookies and and guys, young players on their rookie contract, but he's talking about you know bargain bin free agents that Charlotte has to capitalize on, right? Like they have in the past with with Jeremy Lin um, and then, you know, making a trade for a guy like Courtney Lee and then absolutely extracting all of the possible value from that guy that they could. Um, We need a coach who we're going to give a coach these kind of players and he's going to be able to get the most out of them. Uh And that guy seems like Laranega to me right now. Right. Like if you were to kind of connect those two things, you would think that Laranega would be fit for the job, considering all the things that uh, Curtis Polk is speaking about in that Charlotte Observer interview. And yeah, that's always been the case in Charlotte. It's a small market, so you're not going to attract many big names when it comes to the free agency. So as a team in a small market, you have to develop players. And 
I mean, overall, you know, it, this organization uh, has not done a good job of that. And then Steve Clifford, you know, I mean, say what you want to say, but I think a lot of people think of him as a, uh, as a coach that kind of leans veteran heavy and doesn't necessarily play as rookies. And maybe that's one of the reasons why Curtis Polk and, and Michael Jordan in the front office has kind of taken a complete like 180 in terms of how they're going to approach their new head coach. And it seems to me that uh, Steve Clifford wasn't prioritizing uh, player development, at least with the younger players. And I think that Larinaga is known for player development. I think that's maybe we're leaning that way and and maybe they're leaning that way as well. But I I just think it's interesting that these two are the last supposed last two names. I mean, Messina's name just gone nowhere. I I don't know what you think of that. Like what, what do you, what do you make of that? The fact that Messina's name has not been brought up. Yeah, it's really odd um, because you and I are on the same page. I know you really like him. I really like him. Um, I would say that his coaching style uh-huh. from the research behind you know, the YouTube videos you can watch and anything you can read out there seems a little Steve Clifford-esque, right? Like, I, I don't think he's the same kind. I mean, obviously, he's he's an Italian. He's, he's European um, flavor in what he does, but – He's an intense guy. He demands a lot of his players, I think. And I don't think he, there's not much gray area with, with uh, a guy like Messina. And, and so that's a little synonymous with Steve Clifford. And maybe that has made um, management, Cupcheck, MJ, uh, a little cold footed about him. But what I've been so interested in is just he's like in all the jobs, unless I'm missing something here, in all the jobs. He, his name is really not coming up. So it's like, is he not interviewing well? Are decision makers in this league, you know, realizing that, yeah, he's a great coach, but like he's not head coaching material. And I mean, I heard you say it earlier, but again, before we start recording, you're like, look, this isn't for everybody. Like not everybody can be a head coach. A lot of guys can be great head coaches and rich in wisdom when it comes to the sport, but to be a head coach and to manage these kind of personalities, the highest level of basketball in the world, um, and in tough situations, draw up the but the best play and get the most out of his players. Like that's that's a certain kind of personality that has to do that. Not just a guy who's really smart with X's and O's, right? Like you got to reach these guys mm-hmm. at an emotional level too. And so maybe I don't know. Maybe people are just realizing like I don't know. We're not we're not ready to hand those reins to him. Um, but it is very fascinating because he seemed like it seemed like him and Fisdale to me. I mean, when we got on here two weeks ago. We're talking about Fisdale uh-huh. and, uh, you know, and, and Messina as really the two guys that we thought were we thought one of those guys is going to be the Charlotte Hornets next head coach. And now Fisdale's going to New York and Messina. I mean, it's just seems like he's ridden off in the sun here with this whole process. So did, um, um, I don't really know what to think. Did Stackhouse ever interview with the Hornets or no? I can't remember with yes, all these names I mean, being thrown out there. Yeah, he's interviewed from what I understand. Um, I don't know when it was. You haven't heard any buzz. Uh, I know he's got some serious Orlando Magic ties. Um, A a lot of people seem to think that's where he's going to end up is in Orlando. Not the worst job in this, you know, class of available, you know, vacancies here, but um, certainly not the best job either. So I'm surprised and we did talk about this two weeks ago, too. I'm surprised we're not hearing Stackhouse's name more. Yeah, especially, so. especially with us. I mean, not necessarily in right. the NBA, but especially with us with those Carolina ties. And if we did interview him, um, it sounds like he's 
obviously not getting a second interview or not getting stronger consideration uh, now that we're at this point after reading that that tweet from Woj. So if it is down to these two guys, um, like you said, it, it's it's nitpicking as to who has the better resume, as to who would be better fit for Charlotte. Uh, but I think right. we both stand uh, Laranega in terms of a, of a slight edge for him. You know, I, I don't know why else, Richie, that – the team, and then maybe Michael Jordan has been in on other interviews. I would probably be surprised if he hadn't been, right? But because Larinaga and Borrego are both coming back for a second interview, and this time they're bringing in Michael Jordan, um, I, I don't know. It just seems to me like these, these, are, these are your guys. You know what I mean? I mean, like, why else would they'd be coming in a second time and now MJ MJ needs to come into the room. Like it just seems like to me, like these are the ones we're considering. And not only that, but these are the two guys that we really feel like we have, um, the most realistic chance of landing. And that could be a, I mean, that's a huge part of this. Like the Milwaukee job isn't filled yet, you know? Mm-hmm. So like who, whoever's offered the Milwaukee job is going to take that job before they take the Charlotte job. I mean, that's just, right. That's just the bottom line. So maybe Borrego, um, you know, and, and Larry Nager, the two guys were like, okay, we're going to be able to choose from one of these guys when it's all said and done. So let's go ahead and, and figure out what our owner, you know, really thinks here and, and, you know, accelerate the decision-making process. Um, but that said, Borrego's also sounds like he's interviewing in Milwaukee, um, here soon, which I saw that tweet a little earlier, along with Becky Hammond, which is breaking NBA history. You know, first female to, to interview for a head coaching job, so she yeah, almost I don't know. Um, we'll some thoughts. Okay. She almost coached the Florida Gator women's basketball team. Um, I think they uh, interviewed her maybe a year ago, two years ago, if I'm not mistaken. And um, there was almost a deal oh, in place, but she went to the NBA. So I thought that was going to be interesting to see get her a head coaching job on the college level. But she stayed, or she went to the uh, the Spurs. But uh, there was another quote from that Charlotte Observer. Um, not, nothing related to coaching, but they asked him about in terms of like a full rebuild like did you read that quote from curtis polk about in terms of how there's like varying degrees to rebuild and they don't really necessarily feel like they're going to go as drastic as philadelphia or maybe they don't feel like they need to um but that was the other thing other than the player development that was the one quote that i kind of read that i thought was pretty interesting as well hopeful they're hoping not to make any dramatic changes and that it wouldn't take too much to get this thing back on track i'm glad you brought that up i I don't know I just think they're leaving all the doors open. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I think it's that simple. I, I just, you know, all the quotes you read suggest that, hey, man, like, we don't know what direction we're going in yet. Like, Kimba being traded is totally on the table. Kimba staying here and signing the max and being here for the, you know, the tenure of his entire career, oh, that's totally on the table. Um, you know, Dwight's falling off the books in a year. Like, it's just, it's such a fluid situation, and there's so many different directions the Hornets could attempt to go in, um, which is ironic considering that they're so cash strapped that all the different directions, again, they could attempt to go in or, I mean, there's so many different, you know, so many different directions, diverse situations, a fluid situation. Uh So I just think that Polk's leaving all the doors open and I'm not sure that he knows or cup check knows, um, you know, really what's happening yet. And, it makes sense because even if you decide internally, Hey, we want to trade Kimball Walker. Well, you also have to decide what is it that we're demanding? Like what's the bottom line we're taking back in a deal like that. Right. 
And if we don't get that, then we're keeping him. So, like, just deciding you're going to trade Kimball Walker doesn't mean you're actually trading Kimball Walker. Um, and, and if you try and it doesn't happen, okay, well, what's plan B? You know, how are we using this draft pick? Are we trading it? Are we using it? Are we going after it? I mean, there's so many questions on the table right now for Charlotte, and it's such an important time in you know, the history of this franchise, the, the young history of this franchise. <sighs> Um, that I think if you're Curtis, Curtis Bulk and you have to do an interview like he did with the Observer last weekend, you know, he, he was pretty transparent. Yeah. I, I was surprised. I, I was impressed, but he's still leaving all the cards on the table. Yeah, I get the sense. I mean, maybe this is just a, it's just a feeling that I have. I get the sense that I think I originally stated that I think they would try to trade Kimba, but now I get the sense that they're probably trying to keep him. Um, I don't know. It might just be a feeling and maybe try to make a trade with MKG or Cody or, or someone else um, maybe just kind of ride this next season out and see where it goes. Because, like they said in the uh, the interview, in terms of like you know, there was a lot of close games that could have gone our way. We were a team you know that was slated to make it to the playoffs but didn't. So like, there's still hope there. I almost wonder if Kimba will be on the roster next season, and I I think I'm kind of leaning towards that way right now. And it, it might be because, like you said, they they might try to trade him, but if they don't get what they're you know wanting back. There's no point in, in kind of giving up that value as well. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I think if you're cup check, I mean, I, I definitely think they're looking at, um, you know, the Indiana model and what they did with Paul George. You know, I don't, I think they knew Paul George was leaving. Right. And, uh, they decided to go ahead and pull the trigger uh-huh. on a trade and it looked like a bad trade for them at the beginning and has huh. ended up being a godsend for the pacer. So, you know, if you're Charlotte, I think you look at a deal like that where you, you just, look at some younger players that maybe you think aren't valued as they should be, or just are are not in the right situation and, you know, try to put Kimba out there uh, for a few young pieces like that. And, you know, a trade like that, Richie, to me is, is very, very synonymous for who you're going to hire as a coach, right? Like you, you want a coach Mm -hmm. that, number one can get across to those young players because now you've made this trade. You traded your franchise guy for these youngsters that are really going to be important to the future trajectory of your, of your franchise. And you got to have a coach to get through to them. But number two, maybe it's a coach that has actually had access to them or have crossed paths with these players in the past. You know, all this kind of works in together. So we're, we're really throwing darts, but I, I think that's a deal the Hornets would, probably be smart to look at you know yeah we've always said that we've always said the fact that you know you can't let him walk for nothing uh in in a season but uh also you want to get that value back in return which very well could be just young young assets and that's very uh, like you said very synonymous with what we're trying to do here in terms of hiring our new head coach no doubt so we talked about stackhouse the the other name that i wanted to bring up and i I don't don't know tom a ton about him but i think it's interesting and he's come up in head coaching job circles for years and years and years that's david vanderpool an assistant for portland now haven't heard anything haven't seen a tweet anything out there for you know the last few days but i think that's another guy that that is interesting you know he was uh, obviously cross paths with rich Cho when they were in portland uh vanderpool's been with the blazers for quite a long time now i want to say like since around 2012 i think so um that would be another guy that would not upset me if he ended up uh, as the head coach in Charlotte, but that's really the only other name out of the ones that we've mentioned, Richie, that I, I just wanted to kind of 
yeah. make sure I brought up. I feel like he crossed paths with Messina too in Moscow. I think they might have been on the same coaching staff. Okay, yeah. If I'm not mistaken, yeah. and I, the only thing I know about him, I feel like isn't he very defensive minded? If I'm not mistaken, or is it the opposite? I can't remember. I feel like Vander Vanderpool is he defensive minded? I, I feel like I try to lean towards the offensive minded coaches when I was doing my research, and that's kind of why I think I stayed away from him. One other coach, I mean, just his name has not been mentioned with the uh, the Hornets whatsoever is uh, Chris Finch. Uh, he's an assistant coach with the Pelicans right now, and, and he is very offensive-minded. He's coached in the D-League. Uh, he's, won a, he's won a championship in the D-League. You know, you see what the Pelicans are doing this year in terms of th- their offense, passing the ball, first in pace. Um, they're actually first in the uh, playoffs uh, in assists per game. So I, I lean offense. Uh, I always thought Vanderpool was defensive-minded, but I could be totally wrong. I think you're right. I think Vanderpool is a defensive guy, and you, and you're also right about him uh, crossing paths, or at least uh, being under uh, Messina in Moscow. So, you know, certainly really strong coaching staff there. But that's the other name I wanted to bring up. Um, you know, outside of that, with this coaching search, you said it best earlier. We're, we're kind of just like throwing darts right now and, and completely guessing. But I would think that certainly right after the Milwaukee job is announced, if not before. I mean, Charlotte may just decide, hey, we really like Jay Laranega and we want this guy. Let's go ahead and offer them a job and, and, you know, call it a day here. Um, But I I would think the Bucks job is the last domino possible that we have to wait to fall um, before we know something. So this job, this process is taken way longer than I I thought it would. But uh, I think we're coming to a close here. And I think we know that, Sackhouse, Borrego, Laranega, Messina, maybe. I mean, those are the guys. Um, I, I, I just can't imagine we're going to see another name here pop up. Right. There's been too many to begin with. But, uh, yeah, hopefully, hopefully a decision comes soon because I feel like you said it's it's been a, a long process and you want to get that coach in there as soon as possible to, uh, to establish that culture with the new franchise. Exactly. When we talk about the Milwaukee thing, I did write this down, so I might as well mention it. In the Milwaukee job, here are the names that we know are linked to this. Mike Budenholzer, Monty Williams, Becky Hammond, James Borrego. Those are the names. Like, There's been other names associated with it, but those are the ones that seem to be hot right now. Um, you know, Out of those guys that we haven't seen linked to Charlotte or, or girl, <laughs> you know, with Becky Hammond, the only one I'm – interested in for Charlotte potentially is Mike Budenholzer. Um, I think he's a good coach, a San Antonio coaching tree guy, uh, got a shot, did great with Atlanta. Um, you know, Budenholzer was there during their 60 win season. That's a guy that I'm surprised Charlotte hasn't interviewed and maybe they hadn't, we haven't heard about it, but what are your thoughts there, Richie? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why his name has not been brought up. Like you said, he has those ties to San Antonio. We've we've talked to everyone from the San Antonio coaching tree, so you thought his name would be brought up. I don't know if it's they want to go younger. I don't know. I don't know exactly why because he definitely has that pedigree and he's an established coach. So maybe they're going for a more younger coach that can relate to the players with his age, I guess, a little bit more. Maybe that's why Messina's kind of fallen off the cliff in terms of his name being, you know, in our circles. Yeah, I wonder if Budenholzer, just because he's got, you know, he's got a proven track record, um, you know, playoff success, it may be 
if this is a guy that's just going to be expensive, right? Like Mm -hmm. whoever wants to hire me, like, look, I've kind of proven what I can do in this league and you're going to have to pay for me. And guys like Brego and all the other names we've mentioned, most of these guys are going to be cheap because, you know, they don't have any experience as a head coach in the NBA. So really changes the dynamic in that way. Um, You know, and I think like for a team like Phoenix that just hired, um, the guy, I won't remember his name off the top of my head right now, but the, the assistant, uh, from Serbia, you know, Serbian national, uh, that came from Utah. I mean, look, that had to have been a cheap hire, right? And if you're Phoenix, uh, why not hire somebody cheap? Because you've got a young roster. You're not going to win games here in the next, at least two or three years, you know, at a level that gets you in the playoffs. So hire a guy who knows, knows going to be a great player developer, um, and again, is going to be cheap on the on the checkbook. So that's another factor to consider with Charlotte and all these other jobs. And not only that, but <laughs> it's a factor to consider with Charlotte when thinking about okay, well, will this be a cheap roster next year that's young and full of developmental talent, or will it be Kemba Walker, Dwight Howard, Michael K. Gilchrist, Cody Zeller? Like you know what I mean? There's just again so many different directions to go, and I think that also plays into the coaching search. Uh, conversation and it's just really really complex and that's really the only way you can put it I think you also wonder if Budenholzer would want to come here like maybe he's looking for a a team that's a little bit more competitive although all the coaching options that are available other than Milwaukee are obviously teams that are looking for coaches because they haven't been successful yeah that's a good point that's a good point would he even want to come to Charlotte and I left the name out actually Milwaukee Steve Clifford our boy I don't know why I didn't write that one down earlier but I know he's uh, interviewing for that job and Clifford has said he wants to coach next season. I think, you know, he should take a year off. He should. With all the stress. He should. Yeah. I mean the guy it would be perfect for him to just take a year off, um, develop some relationships within the league, you know, uh, and just get his health right. But that guy just it's what he wants to do, man. And he, he wants to grind. He wants to coach. Um and he's just one of those guys too like I've thought many, many times since we fired him, like I'll kind of follow him everywhere. You know, like yeah. I don't care where, he, I don't care if he goes over to Europe and coaches, like I will keep up with Steve Clifford to see how he's doing because it's just, it's just really hard not to like that guy. Right. So obviously wishing him the best, but Hey, before you talk playoffs, one, one name yeah. that I wonder if he'll ever get a coaching job is Steven Silas. Like, I just feel like his name's been out there forever, but like no Glad real traction yeah. with teams. I feel like, yeah, I, I'm surprised too, Richie. Like it seemed like, you know, when Clifford had, you know, his sabbatical and had to get everything right with his personal health, like, and even before that, there was just all this buzz with Steven Silas. And it just, I I just thought it was a name that would be right up there at the top with these guys that have been in the league for a while as assistants, but don't have head coaching experience. And it's just not. You know, Atlanta has been the one job that I've seen, you know, a little bit of buzz with him, but it doesn't seem like it's going to happen. And it does confuse me. It really does. Especially when you think about who his dad is, his uh-huh. lineage, how long he's been around the game at a high level. But uh, I don't know. Another guy I'm pulling for. And you know what, Richie? <laughs> we have not heard his name brought up with the Charlotte job once. Not I w- once. I wouldn't have I expected it, though. I wouldn't have expected it. Really? I, I, I would have thought that they just broke ties with the whole coaching staff. I don't know if they would have brought him back. I don't know. I mean, for an interview. I, I guess I just wasn't surprised by that. But he might be He might be like an assistant lifer. You know what I mean? Maybe he'll never be. He could be. He yeah. could be. I, I'm not surprised in the sense that, like, new sheriffs in town, Mitch Kupchak, he's yeah. like, no, no, no. 
like you just said, I'm trying to break ties with this whole staff, everything we've been doing here. But I am surprised from like an organizational standpoint, like MJ and his relationship with Paul Silas, which I know is really good. And, you know, everybody else within that organization, like the guy can't even at least get an interview. Like he can't get an interview <laughs> to try to convince Kupchak that he can, do, you know what I mean? Right. It's weird from that level. And look, again, we don't have all the information. Maybe he did and, and we just don't know about it. But um, I don't know. Just a little weird to me, but whatever. I mean, I, I hope Silas lands on his feet. I mean, I'm sure he certainly will. So if you had to put money on who the next head coach for the Hornets will be, you would say what? Larinaga? Is that what you would say? I mean, there's not enough information out there to, to kind of put money on anything, but. I, if I had to put money on it, I would say. Here, let, me yeah, say let me say this. Larinaga, so. Borrego, or someone else? Oh, that's good. Um, you got the field. <laughs> I know. That's the, that's the tempting bet. Um, yeah, I'm still going to go Larinaga. As we stand here today, like, here's the thing with Borrego. I, I think, like, he's in the running, at least from what we can tell, reading the tea leaves with the Milwaukee job. So does Charlotte value him so much that they're just going to wait that out? And if he slips, then, you know, they'll offer the job to him. Right. Or they just sold on Jay Laranaga and they're like, let's just get this over with, you know? So considering all of that, yeah, I take Laranaga in the end. And, and two, just because I, like you, I think player developmentally, he's kind of the best guy on the market, at least from what I can get, all the information I can gather. He seems to be one of the better ones. And, he, and he's young, and he's, you know, his dad's a head coach, head coach at the University of Miami, very rich coaching tradition on the East Coast uh, in college basketball, a lot of experience. Guy's been around the game forever. Um, he just seems like a natural fit for somebody to get a chance. And, uh, yeah, I, I'm going to put it on Laranega. Where do you stand there? Man, I, uh, I'm tempted to take the field, but I think I do lean Larinaga as well. And, and just with everything that's been said in terms of the player development, uh, we keep hitting on that. I think that he, he is the guy for the job when it comes to that. And like I said, Charlotte is a small market. they got to develop uh, young players and young talent, and they have not been able to do that over the years. Um, we can't rely on free agency. It's it's really just drafting and, and making savvy trades in terms of uh, – building this team in Charlotte, you know, we're not going to have an established player come here that with any kind of pedigree, uh, because you know, we're, we're a small market. We haven't established ourselves as a winning franchise, at least not recently. So yeah, player development is definitely top priority and Laranega fits the bill. No doubt. Um, well said, but we'll see what happens again. We're, we're just <laughs> guessing completely here, but we hope to have, some kind of finality on this situation sooner than later, because it has been a little bit exhausting just kind of being out here in no man's land with no coach. And it just seems like there's so much to be done this summer for Charlotte that they would be better suited to go ahead and get this decision made sooner um, again rather than later. So we should have an answer here soon. What's good, y'all? This is your boy, Justin, a.k.a. Just Blaze, host of Above the Rim. And if you want a raw take on the NBA, Above the Rim is a show for you. With dope beats and entertaining guests each week, we offer a great new insight on all things NBA. You don't want to miss it. Find it on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and the Almighty Baller Network. 
Yeah, so I'm gonna like <laughs> just solo, Richie. I asked him earlier. I was like, "Do you want to talk a few, play- a little bit of playoffs before we, uh, before we wrap?" And he was like, "No, no it's all you." So I'm gonna talk to myself here for like eight minutes ish. <laughs> so just bear with me. If it's terrible, then I apologize. But just kind of wanted to give a few thoughts on the playoffs. Richie, can you do this? Can you just uh, just throw me random series? Just throw me all four series that are left here randomly, and let's just see what I can come up with. All right, let's start with the uh, the Cavaliers and the Raptors. All right, Cavs, Raptors. Good Lord. Like, I, I'm just so frustrated with Toronto at this point. Um, m- Mentality-wise, I just I can't, I can't trust these guys. Uh, DeMar DeRozan didn't play in the fourth quarter last night. Unbelievable that that would come out of anyone's mouth in the playoffs. I mean, when you consider what this guy's done in his career and how good he's been in the regular season and what he's proven from an ISO just freaking baller, man. This guy can play, but like, if this is what you show in the playoffs, like, forget it, man. I'm, I'm almost done with him. Um, Kyle Lowry, I thought was good last night. I thought he's been, I, th- I think he's been decent all series. You know, he's, he's frozen up when they put LeBron on him one-on-one and Toronto just stops running offense. Why don't you, here's an idea, run LeBron off some screens. Lowry's one of your best shooters on the floor. Run him off some floppy action. Just send him around screens and make LeBron move. If they're going to say, hey, we're putting LeBron on on Lowry. If that's what they're going to do, then counter that by making one of the quickest guys on the floor move around offensively. It's unbelievable. Dwayne Casey, finally I come to Dwayne Casey, who's probably the most frustrating piece out of this entire series and this entire Raptors story. Nick Nurse, Richie. You've said his name a lot. He's done a lot for that franchise. He's done a lot for the offensive evolution of what they do. But like Dwayne Casey can't figure it out in the end. I mean, he's gotten to the point where in game two, he's taken OG and an off the floor, the easily the best defender on LeBron this series, if not in the entire season, the NBA he's in the top five of defenders on LeBron. He's like, no, 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 no. we're actually going to throw Pascal Siakam out there. And then if they take the worst defender on the floor, CJ miles and try to put him into the switch, we'll just live with that. And this guy's unbelievable. Like uh, Dwayne Casey, you've done a great job. You guys have taken steps forward in Toronto, but if you get swept for nothing and keep this job, I, I'm, I'm just kind of like at <laughs> loss for what Toronto's doing. LeBron James, best player in the NBA. I tweeted it last night. I think I'm finally ready to say best player ever. Um, what he does in clutch situations is just unbelievable. I just can't believe it. Um, off balance, fadeaway shots. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I've never seen anybody in my, I mean, he just makes it look so easy. It's, it's frustrating because I really want to see something from Toronto and I'm kind of tired of this LeBron thing. I've been like that for about three years now, but it, you just got to respect it. So yeah, I, I wonder. Spot. I wonder if the Raptors are wishing that the uh, the Pacers, uh, you know, closed out their series against the Cavs. They definitely gave them a better fight, and you know the way that they play, they, the way that they defended uh, Cleveland uh, was obviously way way greater than what the uh, the Raptors are doing right now. So let's go to another Eastern Conference series, which might end in a sweep as well: Boston, Philadelphia. Yeah, shocking, man. I can't believe um, what Boston has done. I, I just really can't. I did, I did not get to see a ton of the game um, from last night. <clears throat> so we're recording this on Sunday. So Saturday night, you know, Boston steals one in overtime. But he, 
two words, Al Horford. Mm-hmm. The guy has been unbelievable for the Celtics. And, and and you wouldn't look at the stat sheet and say, just from a box score perspective and say, man, this, what a great player he is. Um, but pretty consistent double, double guy and makes every single big play on both ends when it's needed. Um, the Sixers have not been able to figure out how to deal with any pick and roll with Al Horford in it when Joel, Joel Embiid's out there. I mean, Embiid just can't, he can't hang with Horford defensively. You know, he can't drop and try to protect the rim, you know, and hold his stake in the paint with the ball handler while also getting back out to Horford, um, who Horford, when he catches it, not a great three point shooter, certainly a capable one, but the closeout is also just death to defense and he can pass it. I mean, just how much of a complete player Al Horford is, is so underrated. It's unbelievable. Um, and I think this series has really, really articulated that point very well um, with Joel Embiid, who will be a great player if he's able to stay healthy. I mean, he'll be, you know, one of the top 25 best players ever potentially. Um, but Al Horford has really proven his keep in this league, in this series to me. So, uh, and then you got a guy like Terry, Terry Rogier, Marcus <laughs> Smart's been great. I mean, all these other role players, it's just amazing what Brad Stevens is able to extract from Larkin. Assist- yeah. Shane Larkin. I mean, they just keep coming at you, you know, and it doesn't matter who's on the floor. The expectation is the same from them. The style of play expectation is the exact same. And you know, the output seems to be very, very similar to matter, no matter who's out there. So right. this is, it's scary to think about what these guys can be when Kyrie and, uh, and Gordon Hayward are, are back healthy. It's crazy to think that they're not even on this team right now and Boston's playing this well. And, you know, I've always been an Al Horford fan. Obviously I'm, I'm a Gator fan. And when he came out, uh, in the draft, all the conversation was about Durant and Odin. And I was like, you know, it, it, Durant's number one in my mind, but Horford is a more skilled player than Greg Olden. And we, we saw what happened with his career. It flamed out pretty quickly. Uh, but yeah, he's definitely been very, very consistent for this Boston team. So let's obviously switch it over to the uh, Western Conference. Uh, Rockets Jazz currently it is 2-1 Houston, but there is a game tonight Uh on the night that we're recording this. So that, that series will be a little bit different by the time you're hearing this. Yeah. Big game tonight. Um, you know, the other night, I think what I really game three, what I realized in that series is that Utah, they, you know, Donovan Mitchell's great. All right. We, we, it's well documented what we think about that guy, but they're a little, when things aren't going their way, they tend to get a little bit ISO heavy with Ingles, with, you know, with Donovan Mitchell, um, Jay Crowder tries to take his guy off the dribble when, when really he needs to keep it moving and cut, uh, and space the floor. And, you know, even Royce O'Neal, who was great in game three, one of the few guys that was doing anything for Utah in that first half, um, Utah just seems to become a little bit of like, they, they get the deer in the headlight, uh, headlights effect going when things aren't going their way. And that worries me. It, it tells me their offense and their system can't kind of sustain itself like Boston's has proven to, um, which is a little bit surprising, Richie, but Houston played one of those games where James Harden and Chris Paul, just the shot making is unbelievably difficult. And then when they make some tough shots and they're seeing a big basket and they play this ISO heavy system where you got to play so far up on those guys, they get to the paint and now they're swinging at one, two, three passes and they get any shot they want. And 
look with PJ Tucker. And I mean, everybody was making shots for Houston in game three and that's their, that's the recipe. You know, it, it's an ISO heavy system. I hate watching it much. Like I hate watching Cleveland play. It's just, we're going to give the ball to our best player, hunt the mismatch. And then we're, we're just going to try to create a double team and basically swing the ball. I mean, I, I, I get it. It makes sense to me. I just don't enjoy watching it. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, so anyways, if you can't tell, I'm pulling for Utah and, De- and Boston is my favorite team to watch in this playoff. So there's oh, yeah. no question about it. Yeah. I haven't watched a ton of playoffs, but yeah, that they're definitely my, my team. And I think that I'm, I'm rooting for them maybe just for the fact that they don't have Kyrie or, or Hayward. I, I just kind of want to see them succeed even yeah. without those two players. All right. So the last, um, series that we have not talked about warriors, Pelicans, uh, warriors, Pels. Yeah. It's on right now. Uh, we're watching it. Um, it's like Golden State might make a statement here in Game Four. I didn't really get to see much of Game Three. Um, I, I I felt like the Pels could do what they did in Game Three, maybe not to the dominant um, standpoint of what it ended up being in that, but I think they match up okay. I mean, the Pels have this sneaky stable of wings that can actually compete on defense and can also shoot it. Um, you know, Darius Miller's been you know, important for them. Solomon Hill is coming. He's come back from new Orleans from injury and he's given them some important minutes and people forget, you know, the impact he can make defensively. Um, you know, drew holiday, Anthony Davis. I mean, they they just had, they keep coming at you and then playoff Rondo. I mean, (laughs) I was texting with a buddy last night, the way this guy's like talking on defense and from the bench and how he's orchestrating the offense. I'm like, I'm not surprised. I've seen this player before, but I'm just like, what? Why does it only come out in the, in the postseason? Playoffs, yeah. yeah, I mean, like it's just—I don't know. I, I mean, he's a coach's dream when you watch him now, like what he's doing and how he's setting his team up and how he's getting them all on the same page from a communication standpoint. But just bring it more often, man. Like, why do we only see it in the postseason? Anyways, um, now that Steph's back, I think Golden State's fine. Uh, I, I don't worry about them at all. Um, the thing that still confuses me about Golden State a little bit is they, they just kind of seem to pick and choose when they want to play hard, especially on defense. And the the attention to detail on that end is just not there. Like I've seen it in the past. And like, I don't know, man, like I've seen teams in the past that can turn it on and off. And like LeBron's that, you know, obviously LeBron's LeBron, but he's the prototype for that style of plays like look mentally I can kind of coast here and there but like when I turn it on you can't beat me and I want to believe that Golden State has that gear but I just I don't know because Houston's not going to allow you to take many plays off defensively and I've seen a lot of that at a Golden State and that concerns me a little bit now that said I'm still picking them over Houston yeah and maybe they feel like okay once when it gets to the conference finals we were we will turn on that switch and not look back. But uh, yeah, just going back to Rondo, is there is there a player out there that just maybe maybe a guard or a wing that impacts the game so much that can't shoot? Like what? Name another player that can't shoot the ball but impacts the game in the way that he does on both ends of the court uh, for a player a guard that can't shoot. I mean, there's not many out there. So for for guards, you're talking about? Yeah, I mean, obviously you, centers, yeah. you could probably find someone that can't shoot the ball too well but impacts the game in a a drastic way, but Rondo seems like the guy that just, you know, you feel like you could just sag off the guy and give him all this space, but he, he finds ways to make an impact on offense. Yeah. I would say Ben Simmons. I mean, if you consider him a guard, that's true. 
Um, I, you know, I don't know, but you know, the argument about like what position he actually, I mean, he plays point guard point offensively. Guard, yeah. So I would, you know, consider him a point guard. Um, I don't know. You, you, Richie, you can't find many. That's for sure. You cannot find many. I can't think of another one right off the top of my head. Um, but it, you know, like Draymond green is what I was going to say. Like he's a guy who can shoot in, in spurts, but it makes such a huge impact on both ends on offense, just by screening really, really well and sprinting to the rim and rolling so hard that somebody has to come in and check him. Right. Like it's such a big part uh, of golden state's offense. And then he catches it in there and he can pass it against a, you know, a, a mismatched defense now and then the defense playing four on three. So, but yeah, I, I don't know. Golden state, I still think is an arm's length better than any other team in this league. To me, they just have too many, they have too many weapons offensively. The one real question mark for them is their second unit. You know how how much will they shrink? How much will Kerr shrink that unit as they continue to move on here in these playoffs? And can eight guys win them the championship? You know where Houston's going to come at you with nine at the very least, if not ten. Mm-hmm. You know I, I think I think that's an important important factor to consider. Um, but I still like Golden State just barely. Did we get through all those games? Man, that was fast. I think we did. Yeah, I mean, you thought it was fast, but it definitely took up some time. So you did you did very well on that little monologue. All right, awesome. Let's get out of here. Uh, BG, quick shout out. Um, have fun with family. We're thinking about you, man. We will see you back next week. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, do not forget we are a proud member of the Almighty Baller Podcast Network. And don't forget to check out sportschannel8.com best sports everything in the state of North Carolina. Don't even want to have a conversation about it. It's the best. Go check them out. Sportschannel8.com on the internet. Sportschannel8 on Twitter. Don't forget they have a radio show on Saturdays now. 10 a.m. to noon. 99.9 the fan in the Triangle area. Um, I said the Almighty Ballers Podcast Network. Richie, what am I? Oh, it's Queen City Hoops. Or I write stuff. Yeah, I write stuff over Queen City Hoops. And uh, I wrote something about the coaching search on Friday. You can go check it out if you want. It's kind of a moot point. <laughs> like literally, Richie, right, right after I pressed submit to like send it out and post it, um, the tweet came out about uh, Laranega, who, of course, was not mentioned in my article because we just you – know, I think we'd heard his name floated, but it like wasn't – Hey, the, the Hornets are going to actually interview this guy. So he's not in there. Um, I did update it. And he is in there. I don't talk about him a lot. But if you want to read that, it's there for you. Um, all right. Let's get out of here. I've talked enough now. For myself, that's Richie. This is episode 62. We will have a head coach, hopefully in parentheses, by the next time we get on here. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, uh, again, thanks for everybody for listening. We'll see you next time. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? 
Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.